The message this morning is entitled, Who Has My Heart? And it's part one because there's no way I could get my arms around all of this that Paul has to say in the book of Philippians chapter 3. And you may want to be turning um, in, in the Word of God. We'll put some of the scriptures up on the screen, but just encourage you to bring the Word of God with you. I know many of you are in that electronic version and you have it with you. But um, this, is, this, is, this is such a powerful section uh, that... Uh, it, it is so convicting, and it's leading us to what I believe is perhaps one of the most convicting scriptures that the Bible has, front to back, and especially in the New Testament. And in just a few moments, I'm going to show you where that is and why God has spoken to my heart uh, about this issue. But before we do that, let me just say that um, I don't know what the latest uh, minute-by-minute um, update is on these young men and their leader in Thailand. Uh, I The last I checked, six boys have made it safely. Does anybody know if it's any more than six? I think it's six, and then I saw where they have had to suspend the efforts to get these boys out of this flooded cave in northern Thailand. So I'm going to put a a map up there. So one of the things that I think is important for us to do is to weave in current events. And there are ways that we can learn and grow and develop and put our the spiritual truths that we are studying together and apply those to the things that are actually going on in our world 2018. Now, if you see that little, it's kind of a red dot up there, that's, that's a place called Shangrai. Uh, I, I have not been to Chiang Rai, but just to the west of Chiang Rai is a city called Chiang Mai. And I've been to Chiang Mai a number of times. And so I know what that country looks like and what it feels like and how uh, how the wilderness aspect to it um, is so, uh, it's a, such a beautiful place. But I want to talk for just a moment uh, about here these boys are trapped way deep, about a mile and a half back in this cave and the water level came up and they, they can't get out. And it's the flood season and their monsoons come into that part of the country during this time of the year. And so the water table level is going to rise even further. And so they made the decision that if they don't get these boys and, the, and their leader out now, uh, it could be very, very uh, deadly uh, to them. Now, you say, why are you focusing? There are people that are dying all around the world. Why are you focusing this morning on Thailand and these boys that are stuck in a cave? And, it is, and part of it is because the, the, I feel like the Lord impressed upon my heart, and having been there knowing a little something about that country, is that that country is primarily 95% Buddhist. Now, when we're talking about somebody in trouble... And somebody that needs help. And the hearts and, and, the, and the emotions of these kids and, uh, that don't even know how to swim, we're told. And their leader who is in this, trapped back in this dark place and they're running out of oxygen and all of this. And you, and, and you just have to imagine, they got to be crying out to something. But what is it? Who is it? What, what, what might this be? in their hearts and in their minds. And let me give you Dr. Thane Hutcherson Yuri. Um, I'm going to quote from him on Buddhism just to give us a little quick word here because we're going to be talking about truth and how do we know we're saved and, and that sort of thing as we get into Philippians. But let me quote this. They deny Buddhists. They deny the existence of the biblical God. In its pure form, Buddhism is atheistic. However, some sects revere the Buddha as a godlike figure. Other sects of Buddhism are polytheistic, honoring various lesser gods. All deny Jesus was divine, but many would acknowledge his miraculous birth and see him as an enlightened teacher, unquote. Well, look, I, I, my prayer would be that every one of those boys and the leader were saved. I don't know. Maybe we'll hear that they are. And all of them are praying out to Jesus and asking God by, the, by his grace and through the power. And when Jesus said, look, pray in my name if you, if you need things or whatever. I, I would pray that we will hear those stories. But I can tell you that 95% of this country has been saturated with this religion. And so I want us to just stop and, 
and pray if we might. Lord Jesus, uh, our concern here uh, this morning is that truth be told in Grant County, in America, and at every place where men and women and children touch the face of this earth. Our prayer is that the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ would reach every person's mind, every person's ears, and that they would have um, an openness to consider who Jesus really is. And so, Lord, we would ask you for a practical thing this morning. If our update is correct, then there's still some boys and a leader that need to get out of there. They need your help, and so we'd ask you for that. And, Father, if they don't know Jesus, we pray that they would come to a saving uh, knowledge of Jesus Christ before it is too late. And, Father, we know that there was a Thai Navy SEAL who's already lost his life. We have no idea. Even though he did a brave and honorable thing, we have no idea if when he crossed over to the other side, if he met you with Jesus in his heart. We have no idea about that. And so our hearts reach out to this world and to our own um, city and our own country, Lord, that truth would be told. And we pray that churches just like ours all around the world would not be ashamed to speak the truth of your word. And we ask you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for uh, pausing with me. This is a current event. Everything about why we would pray for these folks in Thailand this morning is wrapped up in the scriptures that we're going to look at today in Philippians. See if you agree with me in this statement. In reality, there are only two religions in the world. When you break it down and you just paint it with a broad brush, in reality, there are only two religions in the world. Let me give, give them to you, and you can consider it and ponder it yourself. The first religion is the religion of self-achievement, or what man can do. That's a religion. It has lots of different names, lots of different denominations, lots of different sects, lots of different uh, ideologies or whatever, but it is a religion of uh, self-achievement and what man can do. And the second religion is of what God has already done in Christ Jesus. That's the second religion. When we read the New Testament in full and we paint its picture, as I said, with a broad brush, we would have to say, I believe, you, you, you students of God's Word, would have to say that the main idea of the New Testament is to show the difference between these two religions and to give the world the truth about life and what happens when we die. The world needs the truth about life and what happens when we die. Buddhists fit under the religion of self-achievement or what man can do. They don't believe each individual has a personal soul that lives forever. They don't believe in a God who created the universe. They ultimately want to escape a never-ending cycle of, we call it, reincarnation, they would call it, that holds them to the forces of something that we joke about in this world, but probably should not joke about as believers in Christ, that this cycle, this endless cycle of birth and rebirth and birth and rebirth, reincarnation, holds them to the forces of something we call karma, which is basically uh, you reap what you sow. Uh, you talk snotty to somebody, somebody's going to talk snotty to you sometime, somewhere, some way. You steal something from somebody, somebody's going to steal something from you. It's a you reap what you sow kind of a mindset. And through meditation and through other kinds of exercises in the Buddhist uh, religion, they hope to escape this endless cycle of births and rebirths to a place that they identify as nirvana. And nirvana is, to break it down into simple terms, is to no longer exist, to reach a place where you no longer exist. It's like a candle that is burning and the candle is extinguished, the flame is extinguished. And the person no longer deals with something that is their, their major topic in Buddhism, and that is the problem of suffering. 
We all, we all know what that's about. Every last one of us have a, a sense of what it means to suffer. And it's a tremendous problem that we have to wrestle with in this life for now. This is the religion of 95% of the people living in Thailand who've placed their idea of life and the hereafter on the teachings of a man. And the teachings of that man are Gautama Buddha. And Gautama Buddha lived about 500 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Our most recent studies in the book of Philippians, in this letter to the Philippian church, have caused us to focus on some pretty happy words where Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. And that's been a happy subject. It's one that reminded us that our relationship with Jesus Christ should be producing in every one of us, even in the dark places, and we sang about that. So he's blessed me in the hard place, always brought me through it. He's never let me down. That kind of a rejoicing, Paul says, is lasting. It doesn't, it doesn't ever go away to the, a person who is a, a true, authentic believer in Jesus Christ. And that was a really uh, joyful kind of a topic for us to, to take a look at the last couple of weeks. And remember we said Christian joy does not have a half-life. It doesn't keep dividing and dividing like medicine until it has no, no punch to it, no power to it or whatever. It will always rebound. Christian joy should always rebound at some point in our lives if we'll just keep our focus upon things above and not things below. But the reading we're going to do today is like a 90-degree turn. We're just going to make a sharp turn to the right or to the left or whatever. It's not a wrong turn. It's just a turn. It is a major 90-degree move in in a different direction of what I believe is going to, I'm going to show you what I believe, at least for me, is the most convicting Bible passage that I've ever read or thought about. We'll get to it in just a moment. Paul gives us his personal testimony in this next passage we're going to take a look at. And he explains how a person, catch this, he explains how a person can know that they're saved. Isn't that a good thing to know? How a person can know that they're truly saved. So let's read it. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Finally, my brethren, this is to the church, the true church, rejoice in the Lord. We talked about that the last two weeks. In other words, when you came in today, unless you've just got the weight of the world on your shoulders through some crisis or some issue that we're dealing with, did you come into the house of God with a smile upon your face and in your heart and with a spring in your step? Did you, did you remember that you have this Christian joy? That we have this Savior who loves us. He's never going to ever depart from us. He said, I will be with you to the end of the age. I will be with you. I love you. I died for you. And you can count on me. And this is a wonderful thing for us to come into the house of the Lord and remind ourselves. And he says, to write the same things again, it's no trouble. I'm glad to, I'm glad to give you the directions again. Uh, so I get you say, oh, you want to know how to, how to get to Noblesville? Somebody was at Noblesville with an archery tournament here. So you want to know how to get there? Well, you make a turn here. You take this route here. Say, well, you said that so fast I didn't get all that down. Would you mind repeating that? Yeah, I'd be happy to tell you how to get to Noblesville. Happy to tell you. And there's two or three different ways you can get there. Happy to tell you about it so that you can get where you need to go. Because it's a safeguard for you spiritually It is a safeguard to come into the house of God, into a Sunday school class, into a small group meeting, and go over these truths over and over and slice them and dissect them and and, uh, and, and, and learn from them. Every time we read the Word of God, we can have a new uh, uh, application to our hearts and lives. I talked about that. The Scriptures, though, don't hold new revelation. It's complete. Everything we need to know about faith and Jesus Christ and forgiveness of sins and, and uh, what happens after this life, it's contained here. It's complete. We don't need that. But as we read and as we study, we have new applications that God makes to us. It's an adventure every time we open the Word of God. Now, look, verse 2. Now, beware of the dogs. Wow, you talk, remember, 90 degree turn? He's talking about rejoicing in the Lord. Now, beware. There's a snarling dog at your doorstep. Or maybe in your house. It can happen. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision. 
who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. Now, we'll stop there. And what he's really saying there is, look, if it can be done by, by, by association with the right people and saying the right things, being in the right place, knowing the right rules, uh, doing your best to follow the rules or whatever. If that's how a person can know that they're saved, I, I, I should make it to the top of the list. Because here's my resume. And he just, he just kind of goes down his resume and says, here, here's why I know that I'm going to heaven. If it's on this basis. But he says, watch out for dogs. Watch out for evil workers. Watch out for false circumcision. What does that mean? How am I I to to take this into my spirit in 2018? Now remember last week I touched on the dogs. The dogs are not the puppy dogs like my puppy dog at the house. These are mongrel dogs. These are scavenger dogs. These are dogs that fight amongst themselves when they both lock onto the same bone or, or animal that they're trying to devour. And you get around them too close and you might just get bit yourself if not taken out. They can take you out. These are mongrel dogs that are ravenous scavengers and they are capable of turning on you. Have you ever had somebody you thought was a lifelong friend? Felt like they stabbed you in the back and turned on you, and it isn't right yet. No, you had that experience. How long have you been in the church? It happens all the time in the church. It's happened to me. It happened to me many times. I can name names of people that I've I've gone <laughs> taken trips with, people that I've broken bread with, people that have have been gracious to me and to my family, people who have been generous with their gifts and all kinds of things. But today have turned a cold shoulder because I wouldn't put them on every committee they thought they should be on in the life of the church or because I treated some other people as fairly as I knew how to do as the leader in the church and I, and I didn't allow them to, to own everything or to control everything or to whatever. I, can, I could tell you war stories along this line. Watch out. There are people like that in this world and... In the church. Then he says, watch out for evil workers. Evil workers. Would that possibly mean even workers in our midst? It doesn't just have to be in the vocation where you work or where you earn your living. This is to the church. So it's evil workers who would be mixed in our midst, but they are evil. Now somebody says, look, I don't like that. I don't like, I don't like that one bit what you're suggesting that there could be this kind of people in our church or in our churches around the world. But Paul said it. I didn't say it. Paul said it. They're evil workers who would be mixed in our midst, but they're evil. And then he says there's a third thing watch out for proponents of a false circumcision. Proponents of a false circumcision. Now, Paul, we would, uh, if you study, if you study um, the Bible, you're going to find out that they have a name. They were called Judaizers. And uh, they followed Paul and the apostles every place they went to share the gospel, to start churches and all this sort of thing in terms of, of evangelism. The, the, this group of people would eventually show up and they would start talking their stuff. Circumcision, as we've studied here, in our own group, was God's command in the Old Testament to determine who was a part of his family and who was not. God used this symbol of circumcision. It's a little sensitive to talk about because it's it's referring to body parts. But this is God's symbol that he chose to talk about his covenant with his people. And who's in 
and who's out. It all, this all refers, relates back to the question, how do you know if you're saved? How do you know if God has accepted you into his family in the Old Testament? Now we're in the New Testament age of grace. How do we know that we are truly saved as a part of the church of Jesus Christ? How do we know that? So let's go back and look at Genesis at the beginning of God bringing this command to Abraham. Genesis 17 verse 6. I will make you, speaking to Abraham, exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, Abraham, and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God said further to Abraham, Now, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house or who who is brought, bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants. A servant who is born in your house or who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now, I want us to notice how Paul is giving us an important admonition through this piece of Jewish history in the Old Testament. He says, verse 2 and 3, Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of false, the false circumstance, circumcision. For we, Paul, and those that he's referring to, we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So this morning, let's, let's just identify that there is, according to Paul, a false and a true circumcision. There is a false circumcision. There is a true circumcision. Let me describe the false circumcision. The false circumcision misses the point of the Old Testament command to cut away the flesh. It misses the point. The false circumcision people place the cutting away of the flesh more as a mutilation of the flesh than a surgical or carefully thought out operation of a man's spiritual heart. God wanted the children of the covenant to listen. God wanted the children of that that are that he wants to make covenant with to cut away the ungodly influence of the cultures that were around them. Cultures that were exceedingly evil, cultures that were idolatrous, cultures that did not know the one true God. And he wanted them to put their faith and trust in Jehovah, the one true God. Circumcision was a physical act intended to symbolize an internal change of heart that believed in and followed Jehovah. That's the symbolism. It is a physical act, but it was intended to symbolize something that happened on the inside of people who were saying, yes, I want to be a part of this nation. Yes, I want to be in this covenant deal. Yes, I want to be considered a, a, a Jew. Yes, I want this. I want to step in. I didn't, I wasn't raised that way. I'm from a different uh, lineage or whatever. I want to be grafted in. How do I do that? Got to get circum- circumcised. God is looking for, uh, in, in that time, in that day, a heart like Abraham's that believed in the one true God. And he said, and he said, I'm not letting you in the family if you don't agree to this, this faith in me, this love 
that Abraham had for me that was reckoned to him as righteousness. In other words, the false circumcision turned a spiritual symbol into a work that a man could do in order to practice religion, but it wasn't authentic. Now, let me illustrate that, if I may. When I left home for college many years ago, <laughs> too many years ago, I, I already had committed myself emotionally to my girlfriend. As I was preparing to leave for my first year in college, East Tennessee, and I left Central Ohio, I, it turns out that I had already in my own heart committed emotionally to this girl that I cared deeply about. Now, I could have gone to the local jewelry store in Ohio before I left, or I could have gone to the local jewelry store in Johnson City, Tennessee, and I could have bought a ring just like the one that I'm wearing. I could have bought a ring just like this. In fact, I could have bought this ring and held on to it. And I could have put it on the same finger that it is on today. And that ring would have suggested to everyone at college, in Johnson City, in the jewelry store, or anybody that uh, came across my life, uh, that I was married. That's what this ring would have suggested because I put it on my ring finger. But I wasn't married. I did not have a wife at the time. How ridiculous to wear a wedding ring when there had been no wedding, there had been no exchanging of vows, there had been there is no wife, just a ring. Can you understand how how empty that is, even though it's a worthy symbol and stands for great things? And that is what the false circumcision were doing, according to Paul. They followed Paul and the apostles around everywhere they went, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they basically were saying this to the new church that was beginning to, to flourish. If you don't get circumcised, as Father Abraham was told to do, then you can't really be a bona fide Christian. You have to obey this law, this command that God gave Abraham if you want to be saved. And Paul had to, to undo their legalism. And he had to explain what true circumcision really meant to God. He says in verse 3, for we are the true circumcision. How do you know if you're saved? How do you know if you are part of the true circumcision, where your heart has grafted with the heart of God, and you no longer live to please yourself, but you live to please God. How, how do you know that has really happened in your life? And he says, because you will worship in the Spirit of God, you will glory in Christ Jesus, and you will put no confidence in the flesh. True circumcision is not a work that man can do to be in God's family. True circumcision, Paul says, has to do with a person's heart that places faith in what Jesus did on the cross to cut away the sin from a person's heart and grafts them into the family of God. That's what true circumcision is all about. And anything less than that, Paul says, anything less than that is as empty as wearing a wedding band and you're not married and you don't have a wife. In fact, if you go through with that, it's really not what God had in mind uh, for circumcision at all. He called it, the word he used there is mutilation. You've, you've just done nothing more than mutilate yourself. You've mutilated your flesh until your body has a chance to heal from what you just did. Because it is empty. It has no heart. That's why the, I titled the message, Who Has 
Who has your heart? To the Jews. Who has your heart? To the Christians, to the disciples of Jesus. Who, who has, they say they, they say that their heart belongs to Jesus, but who really has your heart today? How do we know? Because we will worship in the Spirit of God. That means we worship God in the spirit of what He intended. When we look at the Old Testament, we look at this is not just an issue of a, of a ritual that God wanted them to hurry up and do that. Hurry up, hurry up and surgically take care of that order. And then go about your business like you used to when you worship false gods and idols and you did human sacrifice and all kinds of sexual impurity and all these kinds of lifestyles that God said, I do not approve of. Just go ahead, go on back to that. Just make sure you had the operation. Can you see how silly that is? See, if you're really saved, if you're really part of God's family, if God really has our heart, then we worship God in the spirit of God, in the spirit of what God meant. In the spirit of what he meant when he said, be born again. In the spirit of what he meant when he talks and teaches us about regeneration and sin, the the debt of sin being covered by the blood of Christ. And what it means when we invite him to come into our hearts and our our lives to save us and to take that penalty away and and to give us a new heart and a new mind and a new power source to be able to live a different kind of a life. So that's what he meant. Wasn't concerned about the taking away of the flesh. He was talking about what's in your heart. So if you're really saved, Paul says, you worship God in the spirit of God, in the spirit of what God meant. So when Christian or Mark or Josh or any of them lead us in worship, are we worshiping God in the spirit and tone of what he really meant and what he wanted for us? And does, does our heart truly belong to him? They lift up Jesus Christ. If you're saved, you lift up Jesus Christ as the one who deserves the credit, not man cutting away foreskin from his body. The, the, the focus is upon what Jesus did on the cross. When you're around people that are truly saved, they have no problem lifting up Jesus as the main subject. No problem. It doesn't matter how successful, how entertaining, how popular, how big their church gets or their Sunday school grows to or their small group grows to or how many books they might write and be on the best selling list of, of Christian books. Doesn't ma- they don't care about that as much as they care about bragging on what Jesus did at the cross. Truly saved people have no problem doing that. Truly saved people put absolutely no confidence in self-achievement of the flesh or what man can do. That's, that's, why, that's why, the you know, there are pieces of the prosperity gospel that have some sweetness to it and some scripture to it. And, 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 and there is some name it, claim it, and see it, seize it. And there's some of that that has, it has some truth in some of these areas or whatever. But listen... If you think for one second that it's all about you pulling yourself up by the bootstraps and that's how you're going to succeed in life, you, you are not saved. I cannot see the evidence for that in the scripture. So we have to be careful not to go too far one way or the other. We need to stay balanced and in the spirit and tone of how Paul has given us this truth. They put no confidence in self-achievement. Yes, we're all to work. We are all to make hay while the sun is shining. We are all to be available. We are all to do our duty. Absolutely. But it's not, it's not confidence in what man can do. It's what Jesus has already done on the cross. They glory in Jesus Christ. And that's the end of it. That's it. I glory in Jesus. That's it. And then he goes on to say that if that legalistic approach to religion could work, if that really could work, if that really was what it's about, then he said, I'd be at the top of the list with God because I've done pretty good compared to some of you. 
That's what he's saying to Philippians. Why? Well, he goes on to list his self-achievement resume. Let's just see what he says here. He goes on to show that if anyone could be saved from the works that man can do, he'd go to heaven. So he gives us his personal example of the good job that he's done. And sadly, how self-achievement doesn't work. Self-achievement doesn't work. So verse 4, he said, Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I, you know, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day. That's what God said. I read it to us, right? He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's the command of God. Of the nation of Israel. That was God's chosen people. Of the tribe of Benjamin. A favored tribe because of Jacob's love for Rachel and her offspring. He had a favored love. And so the tribe of Benjamin was a favorite tribe. He said, I'm from that tribe. And I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning both my parents were Jews. I, it's not ha- half and half. It's, they were both. I'm, 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 I'm full blood. <laughs> As to the law, he said, I was a Pharisee, an expert in understanding the law and a strong practitioner of the law. And if you want to talk about zeal, am I, was I excited about practicing my religion in this way? You bet, because I was to the point of persecuting these church people, these new followers of Jesus Christ. And I was willing, I was so zealous, I was willing to take people's freedom away from them, throw them into prison, and in some cases they lost their lives. Because that's how zealous I was to do human works, self-achievement. And as to the righteousness, that's right doing. As to the righteousness which is in the law, he said, I was found blameless. There was nobody writing me emails or sending me texts saying, I saw you do that. Or you were naughty. I was following you. You went over the speed limit. You know, I was blameless. There was nobody that could find fault with me. So, okay, I <laughs> said all that. Let me bring some of this to close and, and, and help us prepare for moving forward with this in the weeks to come. Paul wants the Philippians and the Lakeviewans. He wants the Philippians and the Lakeviewans and anybody else who reads his stuff To know that he is speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who inspired his thoughts and his words for all of the people that think you can't, the Bible's not reliable, that this was inspiration from the Holy Spirit. And I'm also speaking on the basis of personal knowledge of things that Jesus told me when I was on the road to Damascus to take some people out and Jesus knocked me down. And he had a long talk with me and I I got up and I was blind and I had to be healed of that. And when the blinders came off, I realized that Jesus was real and I was messing up by trying to, to, to reach God through my personal efforts, through legalism, through, through man's works. And Jesus said, you can't do that. You can only, you can only have a relationship with God through a relationship with me, Jesus, because I have done something for you that nobody else could do or has ever done for you. So he wants us to ask ourselves this question because there are dogs in our midst. In fact, he says in other passages, we won't take time to read it, but he says the further we go in history, the more confusing it is going to be to be able to discern the true from the false. Have you noticed it's getting harder and harder to read a person's spirit and their heart to know are they truly... You, you know, I could be a dog. I could be an evil worker telling you, opening this and telling you wrong things. I, I, I could be of the, 
of the false circumcision. And God says, you must be wise to test one another, to test the leaders, to test everyone. Not that we're walking around with a spiritual magnifying glass, but that we are paying attention. Paul says, you must be paying attention because these ravenous dogs will turn on you. There are evil workers who are on purpose invading the life of the church. And there are people that have not understood the truth about God's word. And they're not aligned properly. Who has your heart? Why must we be careful to preach truth about being saved? You see, God wasn't so concerned about the foreskin of a man. God was never so concerned about the foreskin of a man as he was about the condition of the man's heart. The wife of a husband is not so concerned about the ring that her man may or may not wear as she is concerned about the condition of his heart toward her. You follow the illustration? The wife is less concerned about this being on the right finger and being the right size and costing the right amount of money and all that it represents. She's less, if she's wise, she's less concerned about that being on his finger as she is the condition of his heart toward her. Does Jesus have your heart? That's the question. You say, well, why are you asking that? Don't, don't you think that everybody in here is saved? The answer is, I don't think so. I hope they're not because this should be a, a hospital, a spiritual hospital. We should have saved people, healthy people, spiritual doctors and people that are helping folks. and all. But we should also have, we should have ment- people that are learning. They're, they're mentees. And then there should be some people that are trying to figure it out and came here to hear the truth. So, does Jesus have your heart? He's pretty concerned about it. And here's how I know, and I close with this scripture. Jesus said in Matthew 21, and this is a passage that keeps me awake at night. Sometimes. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. See, God set circumcision in the Old Testament to show that we need boundaries, don't we? We need boundaries. <laughs> the wedding ring is a symbol that I'm supposed to have boundaries to my behavior. As a husband, the ring is a symbol that I have boundaries. I cannot live like a, 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 a person who has no spiritual uh, guiding values. And when we go through the motions and God still doesn't have our heart, we're not saved. Can I say that one more time? For all of our safety, when we go through the motions and God still doesn't have our heart, we are not saved. So what do you mean go through the motions? Well, in the Old Testament, it was get circumcised. But God never had the heart for some people. You say, well, well... That was, a, that was a, a work that a man could do. In essence, to be in, a, in God's family, in his mind. But God was really saying, no, I want your heart. If I don't have your heart, I really, you're out. You're like an uncircumcised person. You're out. So what are some of the things that, that would cause us to, to, to think about going through the motions? Well, I can think of some things. Well... I'm pretty sure I'm saved because I got confirmed when I was 12. I'm pretty sure I'm saved because I went through a bar mitzvah 
And it was in Jerusalem. That's the holy city. Or I'm pretty sure that I'm saved because I went through a catechism class. And I got A's, 100% on all the tests they gave of all the chapters that we studied. And I memorized all of the verses. And so I'm pretty sure <laughs> that I'm saved. You see, that's self-achievement. Do you understand that's man's work? It's a good thing to do. It's good to do. It's not evil. It's just not how you get saved. Are you following me? Or my church membership. Now let me just say something here, and I want to stir, stir anybody's emotions up. But this is one of the reasons that some of, some of folks in the denomination, our, our denomination, had some struggle with these new guidelines that were trying to promote some accountability and some purity and to say, hey, does God really have your heart? It, you know, this is, this is how it kind of looks when God really has your heart. But there's a, there's a feeling about this. Don't shove that stuff down my throat. Because some of that stuff could be considered man's work. Rules and regulations and legalism. And so some of us just didn't want to have anything to do with it. So we just didn't sign anything. And you know what? That wasn't just here. I believe that's happened all all across the country. Now, the fact of the matter is, I I believe everybody meant well in what they were trying to push, push toward. On the other hand, there's this business of, does God really have your heart? And like that's a tough. This is a tough thing to to navigate. When we just go through the oh well no 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 I I I I went forward at Bible school, and I prayed that prayer, and so I, I'm I, I'm pretty sure I'm in. Well, hopefully they are. God knows if they're in or not. There's a growing. There's a growth. There's a maturing. There's all of that. But for somebody to say. I went forward when I was a teenager at some service because a bunch of my friends unloaded. We all went down there and I said that prayer and I thought I meant it at the time. But I've been living like the devil ever since. And I know it and I know God knows it. And so we can't just rely upon some little, oh, I raised my hand at the end of the service. And I'm in, but it doesn't change anything because God doesn't have my heart. So we have a responsibility to all those kiddos and VBS to follow them, to track with them, to make sure that they're being mentored by spirit, the spiritually mature. Are you following me? This is a complicated thing. It's not, it's not, it's not impossible to understand, but it's, it's got lots of ramifications to it. God help us that we have been honest with God about who has our heart. And so the question today, with the greatest love that I know how to share with you. And this stammering tongue that is trying to take these deep thoughts. They're deep thoughts because, you know, I think about, I think about Buddhism today. And I think about what they believe and what they don't believe. And it's a concern to me. And I pray that I have friends, Cynthia and I have friends that have spent their lives in Thailand trying to share the gospel of Jesus Christ right in a neighboring city. And I pray that that happens. But the question is, does those little kiddos in the cave, does God have their heart? Does God honestly, if he has your heart, you will, you will worship him in the way that God wants to be worshipped, with what God intended. You will not be ashamed to lift up Jesus and talk about Him above yourself or anything else you have ever done with your life or hope to do. Jesus will always be at the very top. And you will you will want to live the rest of your life for Him. So, on the screen... You'll see this little picture, and I'll close with this. Is your name written in the Lamb, that's Jesus, in Jesus' book of life? When that Thai Navy seal passed from this life to the next, was his name on that scroll? And if you're not sure that your name is written in the book of life that Jesus has, 
then I want to encourage you. Give God your heart. And by faith, the same kind of faith that Abraham had to demonstrate when everybody around him was living like the devil. And this man said, by faith, I'm just trusting that God is real. It's a faith thing. It's not a prove me thing. It's a faith thing. And once you step into that faith thing, then God proves it over and over and over again over the course of our lives. Amen? He does. So let's stand. And I I just, I'm not going to pray a little man self-achievement prayer and you just hurry up and slip your hand up. But I'm telling you that if the Spirit of God is resonating in your spirit with the truth of what we've tried to lift out here, you cannot, God does not have your heart if what you're resting in is the fact that your parents had you baptized or that you went through a bunch of classes or if you learned how to read Hebrew or if you, you know, uh, went to went to the altar five times before you were 21. I, this is not about that. It is about, you know, whether God has your heart or not. And if you want him to have your heart, tell him right now before you go home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I don't know who you're speaking to this morning and who you may even be speaking to over the internet. But you know that I have tried my best to lay this out in a way that we can rationally, but by the Spirit, think about these things. And I pray, God, that all the good things that we can do in studying the Bible and being baptized and partaking of the communion, all those things, they don't mean any more than a wedding band where there's no exchange of vows, no covenant, and no wife, no spouse. And sometimes that's how I feel, and I'm not sure I'm saved. And the devil comes to me and reminds me of how inadequate I am at times and how I fail. And it frightens me because I don't want to stand before God without a Savior. And I don't want to just have a, get out, get a pass to get out of hell. But I'm sobered by the, by the thought of standing before God and my name's not in that book. And I want my name to be in that book because I, I appreciate what you did for me, Jesus. I appreciate what you did for me at the cross. And I need you in my life. And I would ask you, Lord, to help me with assurance of my salvation, maybe even to start it today. I invite you into my heart. I confess to you and agree with you about anything you show me about my life that's not your will for my life. And I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me. And thank you for paying the penalty. And thank you for being willing to come into my life and save me and to help me until you come for me. We pray for the purity of the church of Jesus Christ, Lord. We're a spiritual hospital, so there's lots of tears and wheat. There's stories that we can, we can go to in your word that remind us that, that there's tares and there's wheat. And it's, it's all mixed in for right now. But you know who's authentic and who's real. You know who really has you in their heart. And so remind us of these truths, God, and save some today. And I pray that you would reinforce and encourage some today and help us to understand your word better and better as we study and as we grow in our spiritual maturity. We love you. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.